0: Grace, mercy, and peace be multiplied abundantly unto you all through our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ. The words for our meditation are from Ecclesiastes chapter 7. You heard in the book of Ephesians that we are to live as children of light and find out what pleases the Lord. Well, Ecclesiastes chapter 7 has a lot of good wisdom for us. It's kind of what we would expect from wisdom literature, so we're going to look at that in detail. Now, when I was a youth, we went around witnessing to people door to door, all with good intentions. We would ask questions like, if you died tonight, do you know where you would go? Or we would say, did you know that you could be certain that if you died tonight, you could go to heaven? The only problem with that kind of thinking is that when you're young, you're more worried about figuring out your life than what happens when that life is over. The gospel pitch of eternal life was good for grandma and grandpa on their deathbeds in the hospital, but not so good for the young people. I've since learned that Christianity is more than just eternal life. It's supposed to be a life lived with God now that never ends. It begins now in daily with daily and practical matters and continues forever. It's not just about the day you die, but about every day. Here in the Bible, reading from Ecclesiastes chapter 7, we have basically two kinds of people, the wise and the foolish. And this crazy cultural context in which we live refuses to draw such hard lines between the wise and the foolish. We've talked already that we all have at least a little fool in us, that is for sure. But hopefully the wise know this, and they dislike it, and they work to correct their, foolish, their foolishness. And in this section of Ecclesiastes, the person second only to Jesus Christ in wisdom shares with us ways of the wise for today and every day. So here we go, a little from Ecclesiastes chapter 7. Look at verse 1. A good name is better than fine perfume. In other words, seek to do the right thing every day. For women, a good perfume is essential. The same goes for a man's cologne. And this is doubly true to those who are single and wanting to attract a spouse by creating a pleasing and inviting environment. In Solomon's comparison, a good reputation goes beyond us and before us as the aroma of our character. Our reputation is built over time, but it can be lost in a moment. Therefore, just like a wall is built by stacking one brick at a time, so too our reputation is built by doing the right thing one day at a time, as best we can, by what we know. The second half of that verse in verse 2. The day of death better than the day of birth. It's better to go to a house of mourning than to go to a house of feasting. For death is the destiny of every man. The living should take this to heart. In other words, live every day with that one day in mind. Like a picture in a frame, death frames life. The average person has 27,000 days to live their life on the earth. After that our opportunities to learn, love, and, and leave an impact. They're gone. It is so easy to waste our life one hour, one day at a time. So it's wise to start with the end in mind and work backwards. Some theologians have said the book of Ecclesiastes is, that's what it's all about. Living life backwards. Now some of you have navigation in your cars or you have Google Maps on your smartphone You just plug in the final destination, and in so doing, you are directed purposefully toward that desired end. Likewise, thinking about our last day and our funeral can be helpful and clarifying. Solomon reminds us that we can learn a lot about life by not just attending parties, but also attending funerals. For the Christian, the day you die is better than the day you were born. Paul says the same thing in Philippians chapter 1. For me, he says, to live is Christ, to die is gain. Because that's when your salvation will be fully realized. Verse 3 and 4. Sorrow is better than laughter because a sad face is good for the heart. The heart of the wise is in the house of mourning, but the heart of fools is in the house of pleasure. In our culture, we celebrate our wins publicly, and we mourn our losses often too privately. And this can lead to isolation, which can cause depression. This also helps account for a very lonely, broken, and depressed condition in a world where people self-medicate and or medicate to cope with their emotional pain. In the Bible, lamenting is part of the public life of a person. The Eastern way of life had a set way for mourning that included a public period of time for people to express their grief. In the isolated West, things are not this way. Social media increases the pressure to main the facade. All is well and we're all winning at life. On the other hand, in the Bible, we have an entire book called Lamentations, a large grouping of psalms that are laments, and a large section of other books, especially in the prophets, that are laments. Even the Lord Jesus lamented over Jerusalem and wept at the death of his friend Lazarus. Sorrow lets us work through our grief. Sorrow lets us stop pretending that all is well. Sorrow welcomes others into that grief because that's where friendships are. That's where friendships are forged. Those of us who went to Satchago Lake last summer saw this very clearly when we attended a public wake for one of the elders of the community. Tragically, a fool thinks only about having a good time. When hardships, trials, suffering, difficulty, and strife comes, what happens? Wise people mourn. But foolish people drink too much and do things they're not so smart. Fools drink, dance, and laugh through their problems, which is ultimately ignoring and avoiding their pain. Wise people embrace it and go through it, knowing that on the other side is God and an opportunity for joy. Remember, we go through a valley. Fools refuse to go through the hard stuff of life. Verse 5 and 6. It's better to heed a wise man's rebuke than to listen to the song of fools. Like the crackling of thorns under the pot, so is the laughter of fools. This too is meaningless. In other words, keep one ear open and one ear closed. Solomon reminds us that both wise and foolish people are happy to tell us what they think. But if we want good for our lives, we have to have one closed ear turned toward the fool and one open ear turned toward the wise. Now, how do you know who the fools are? Well, Solomon gives us a couple tests. One, a fool treats everything with a light-heartedness that is inappropriate. Not everything is funny, not everything is a joke, and not everything can be dealt with by a sense of humor. Fools tend to be shallow and unable to swim out into the deep waters of life, and they splash around the shallows, treat matters, real matters, like they are simple and not worth fretting over. A fool can be fun in the good times and downright annoying In the tough times. Also, fools fades fast. Like a fire made with dried thorns. They burn hot and fast with a lot of passion and energy that is gone quickly. A fool will show a lot of emotion and make a lot of promises in a loud way at the beginning of a lengthy trial but are gone before the real work even begins. Fools don't really count the cost of walking with someone through a hard season. So they may say a lot, do a little, and are nowhere to be found after the first trip to chemo or to the divorce attorney. Verse 7. Extortion turns a wise man into a fool, and a bribe corrupts the heart. In other words, shortcuts are dead ends. In life, when money is short and deadlines are tight, it can be tempting to cut corners, take a shortcut, and do things that are unethical, if not downright illegal. A bribe is when we decide how much we are willing to sell our integrity for. When we take a bribe, it reveals that we are lovers of money and worshipers of money, which means that the depth of our soul is not love of God and worship of God. In this way, money is a good way to gauge our soul. Jesus does this all the time in the Gospels when he talks about money, gauging the soul. These shortcuts ultimately prove to be dead ends in God's economy. These bribes and dead ends can include falsifying on billable hours, overbilling, increasing our profit margins on an item, stealing from our employer, including time, and covering for others who are skimming the company in some way. We can make a lot of excuses for why we take what is not ours or take more than we've got coming. But all such dealings end up corrupting the heart. And since the heart is the seat and center of our lives, from which all of life flows, poisoning our heart and our soul for a few bucks is never a good return on investment in the eternal economy of God. Verse 8. The end of a matter is better than its beginning. And patience is better than pride. In other words, make the last day the best day. A proud person has a good start. A patient person has a good finish. Every guy's tough in boot camp. Every woman's the perfect mother and her second trimester of pregnancy. Every guy is an unbelievable mate on his second date, but it's the end that counts. Wise people know that in the middle, in the middle there is going to be difficulty, sin, and consequences for sin, but that, with wisdom, by God's grace, they can navigate through to the end where there's something to show for it. Even the not-so-godly Ahab had enough sense to point this out same thing. First Kings chapter 20. One who puts on his armor should not boast like one who takes it off. If you do something, you don't have to say anything because the results speak for themselves. Verse nine. Do not be quickly provoked in your spirit, for anger resides in the lap of fools. Makes me think of the dog. I grew up with a dog. The dog was nice and a good companion, but the dog was not always nice. The dog also ferociously protected our family when needed and sometimes when not needed. She had anger issues. While you want a bad guy on your property to be greeted by a protective dog, the last thing you want is that same dog to Im- intimidate or harm or frighten a child. A good dog knows that most of the time they're the family pet, happy with their tail wagging. A good dog also knows that on rare occasions they need to put, put up their fur, show their teeth, and be the family protector. Well, God wants us to be good dogs, not just nice that never protect others from the bad guys. Not just a mean dog that always barks and bites for no reason. Verse 10. Do not say, why were the old days better than these? For it is not wise to ask such questions. In other words, you cannot move forward looking backward. One of the first things you are told when you learn to drive is that if you want to go forward, you have to look forward. And if you want to go backward, you have to turn your head around and look backward. You cannot go forward while looking backward. And what is true physically is also true spiritually. You cannot move forward in your life with the Lord when you're always looking backward. This is why Lot's wife turned turned to a pillar of salt when she looked back while walking away from a godless culture. This is also why Jesus says that life with God is like plowing a field and you cannot plow a straight line looking back over your shoulder. Fools, the teacher says. Talk a lot about the good old days. This can be through nostalgia when we remember an easier season of our life, when when the kids were little and easier to keep an eye on than when they got driver's license. This can also be tradition where we just wish that the way things used to be would remain that way. The problem with such thinking is that since the fall in Genesis chapter 3, there really have only been days filled with pain and struggle. Forward is God's plan for good days, and the good times really start when this life ends. Verse 11 and 12. Wisdom, like an inheritance, is a good thing and benefits those who see the sun. Wisdom is a shelter as money is a shelter. But the advantage of knowledge is this, that wisdom preserves the life of its possessor In other words, wisdom and wealth are wonderful. To navigate the rough seas of life, two oars are particularly good to have. In the boat, wealth and wisdom. Wealth can be a very good and helpful thing, as money can make some of life's pains and problems much more bearable. But wisdom is even more valuable than wealth. In fact, wisdom can save your life, unlike knowledge, which tells us what is true, wisdom also tells us what to do with that knowledge. Wisdom does, wisdom does not guarantee the absence of hardship in life, but it does guarantee a course through the hardship of this life. Fools and wise people find their boat hitting the same waves, headed toward the same rocks, but the wise people figure out how to navigate around and through disaster. While fools shipwreck constantly. Verse 13 and 14 Consider what God has done. Who can straighten what He has made crooked? When times are good, be happy. But when times are bad, consider. God has made the one as well as the other. Therefore, a man cannot discover anything about his future. In other words, God has two hands. God made this world perfect, good, and upright. Because of our sin, this world has been made imperfect, bad, and crooked. And living in this cursed and crooked world requires us to accept the fact that no one and nothing is perfect. Everyone and everything has a shadow side where there is brokenness and frustration looming. Think of the journey through this life in terms of climbing a mountain. Anyone who has hiked can tell you that simply walking from the base to the summit of a mountain in one straight line is impossible. Instead, the only way up is on a course that meanders back and forth over the face of the mountain. Though exhausting, With occasional backtracking, struggling, overcoming, this is the only way to keep going up without getting stuck or falling off. In life, there are also times when we are moving forward and times where we're moving backward. And there are times of prosperity and there are times of poverty. There are times of health and there are times of sickness. Sometimes we want God to only give us a good, flat, clear path without ever backtracking, falling, or struggling. It's easy to sing God's praises when times are wonderful, much harder when times are awful. The teacher says, Wisdom understands that God has two hands. One hand is God's active hand, the other is his passive hand. Sometimes God does good for us, and other times God allows difficult things to happen to us. But we need to accept that both come from God. Job had the same question in chapter 2. He's lost his children. He's lost his wealth. He's lost his health. The only thing he still had was his wife, which wasn't that much of a blessing. She was not a particularly helpful woman. Her counsel was simply, curse God and die. And in response, this is what Job said in verse 10. You are talking like a foolish woman. Shall we accept good from God and not trouble? And in all this, Job did not sin in what he said. This is what faith looks like in the face of pain. We do not see what God is doing, but we turn to him and we trust him until we do. And this eventually leads to our faith becoming sight because in time even if it's in the kingdom of heaven, we see what God was doing from beginning to end. Now, however, the Bible says we only see in part, but then we shall fully know. And finally, that last verse, man cannot discover anything about his future. In other words, hold everything and everyone with an open hand, except God. I mean, anyone and anything can be broken. Anyone and anything can be taken or forever changed in an instant. And knowing this leaves us with just three options. Option number A, you get bitter when you lose who or what you enjoyed. Option B, you enjoy nothing and no one so that you cannot ever get hurt. Option C, you enjoy what you have for as long as you can, and when it's gone, be grateful to God for what you had. Of course, the only person who has walked in perfect wisdom every day in every way is Jesus Christ. That is why the Bible calls him alone the one who is wiser than Solomon. And in this way, his life, lived by the power of the Holy Spirit, is the life of the perfect sage. A sage is a wise person who understands how life with God works, walks in it, and helps others to do the same. And thus, in his wisdom, he allows our eternal life to begin today and continue every day with him perfectly. That's our perfect Savior, who died on the cross for all of sins and imperfections and all of our shortcomings, to make us acceptable to our perfect Father in heaven. He died so that we can live, so that we can live wise, not perfect lives. He picks us up, he dusts us off, and he helps us on our way. As you read the scriptures, you will see that often wisdom is personified. And that it has the same characteristics of our perfect Savior. We cannot help, as we study wisdom from God's holy word, we cannot help but think and thank God for his gift of our perfect Savior, the wisdom from God in Jesus Christ. Amen.